0: But that's all right. We can still have church without a computer. All we need is this. We'll be ready to roll. Uh, Today we're going to take a look uh, at what to do when the time has come. What to do when the time has come. That will be uh, in Joshua chapter 1. As the book tries to get that pulled up, Uh, I ask you a question Have you heard of the uh, revolution of 1800? Revolution of 1800. Mr. Hissam, you're barred from answering, but has anyone else heard of the Revolution of 1800? It's a fairly important event in U.S. history. Uh, it's often overlooked. Uh, no doubt you've heard about the American Revolution or the War for Independence. That was 1776 to 1781. And you've surely heard of the War of 1812 with Britain, or as I like to call it, the War for Independence Part Two. That's the one uh, that a history teacher from Arkansas wrote a song about. That's probably how you know about that war. You've probably heard of. In 1814, we took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down in the mighty Mississippi. You've heard of that. I know, Mr. Hissam. Mr. Hissam, will you stand up and sing a few bars of that for us, please? <laughs> I've heard, I, I've heard many a story of a history class where you sang that song. But uh, now Johnny Horton sang that song and made it famous. But that really was written by an Arkansas history teacher uh, named Jimmy Driftwood, he wrote that in uh, 1936 and uh, he was from Snowball, Arkansas and (laughs) but Johnny Horton made it famous but he wrote that just for students to remember that but anyway back to the revolution of 1800 what was it what was the revolution of 1800 we have to understand that in the 1790s things were kind of tense uh, politically speaking Very tense, politically speaking. So the Federalist Party, uh, they had the claim to the first two presidents of the United States, uh, and the forming during the 90s, 1790s Republican Party, not to be confused with today's Republican Party, same name, different thing, uh, these two disagreed in fundamental principle on the direction of our newly formed country. And we won't go into a lot of detail, but suffice it to say, going into the election of 1800. The two main candidates, which were Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, who was the incumbent, um, feared that if the the other one won, then it would be the ruin, the absolute ruin of the newly formed country. It would ruin the nation. So the Federalists, they said that Jefferson was an un-Christian deist whose sympathies with the French Revolution would bring similar bloodshed and chaos to the United States. And the Republicans denounced Adams as uh, expanding the U.S. Army and Navy, attacking individual rights with the Alien and Sedition Acts, new taxes and deficit spending. It's funny how things don't really change. We're still talking about the same stuff. So what happened? Long story short, Thomas Jefferson won. He wins. And there's a transfer of power, a transfer of leadership from one party to the other. For the first time in U.S. history and more importantly there's a transfer of power and leadership peaceably from one party to the other. See, so they were f- afraid that there was going to be a literal revolution an- another war over this change in power. And it changes and in, in Jefferson's inaugural address he famously states we are all Republicans, we are all Federalists calls for unity and the revolution The physical revolution doesn't happen, but it's called the Revolution of 1800 because of that changing of power. So what's the point, and how does that relate to us today and our scripture focus for today? Well, simply put it, a change in leadership can be scary. A change in leadership can be difficult. Throughout most of history, it's even been brutal. Violently brutal. But it doesn't have to be. So with that in mind, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It should be on the screen now if you don't have a Bible with you. And it says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, who had served Moses. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I'm giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Now, when he said that to Joshua, I think Joshua probably screamed, Woohoo! finally. That's the way I picture it. Finally, praise God, the promise is here. 700 years since God's promise to Abraham, 300 years in Egypt, the last of, the, of which, the last several years of that were very harsh, harsh oppression and slavery. 40 years since Moses had brought them to the edge of the promised land and Israel chickened out on their chance to have it then. Didn't have faith, faith that God could deliver this land to them. So they wandered around for 40 years until all the people at that time of the rejection that were 20 years or older had died, except for two. Finally, after all of this time, the time has come. The promise is going to be fulfilled. But in that, I pause for a second and I ask us to pause for a second and I say, what about Moses? What about Moses? The greatest prophet and leader in Israel's history. That's what scripture says. Who had done unparalleled signs and wonders. He dies and he only gets a couple of verses. And it's just time to move on. We'll flip back a couple of pages, if you will, with me to Deuteronomy. On the screen also. 34, 7 through 8. Deuteronomy 34, 7 through 8. You've probably read these verses before. It says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak and his vitality had not left him. In other words, he wasn't worn out. God took him. It was time for him to go. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. So what about Moses? Did we just move on from, of course, of course not. The people had mourned for Moses for a month when we pick it up in Joshua. Now, I don't know you, But for me and several people that I have talked to, the last couple of weeks have felt almost like a death. And while that is not the case, thankfully, there's a valid reason for that emotion. Because it is the end of an error. It is the physical death of a particular period of time. Brother Clayton led us through some wonderful times and some extremely difficult times led through things that would split or even kill many churches. But here we are, after nine and a half years. Here we are, at the end of that time. And I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that we are standing on the banks of the Jordan River with the greatest years this church has ever seen just right on the other side. Time to see promises fulfilled and miracles and wonders happen. So the question that I have is, how do we get our Joshua? If Moses was the great leader, but Joshua was the one that led him after him, how do we get our Joshua, our next leader? How do we get them, and how do we get them to help us get there, across the Jordan River? How do we even know what to look for? Well, a quick reminder on who Joshua is, alluded to it a second ago. We looked in our first verses this morning, Moses leads Israel out of Egypt and crosses the Red Sea. About a year later, they're on the edge of the Promised Land, and they send 12 spies into Jericho, in the land of Cana, and they spy for 40 days to find out what's going on with this land and can we actually take it. They return, and 10 out of the 12 spies say, Nope, can't do it. City's too fortified, people are too big, God must be wrong. Nope, can't do it. But two guys, Joshua and Caleb, say, hey, it's a great land, flowing with milk and honey, just like God said it was. And if he is with us, then let's go. Let's go now. They were ready then. They were ready to go. The point, early on, Joshua was showing himself faithful. Proving himself faithful early on in this journey with Israel. Well before he's established as the leader. We need a leader that is proven faithful to God. What else? We'll flip back to Joshua Joshua 3. Joshua chapter 3 verses 7 and 8 says, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. So they will know that I will be with you just as I was with Moses. Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the edge of the waters, stand in the Jordan. And then, flip, and then go over to verse 15. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. In other words, there's a lot of water going right now through this river. But as soon as the priests carrying the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge, and the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up in a mass that extended as far as Adam, a city next to Zarethan. The water flowing downstream into the Sea of the Arabah, or the Dead Sea, same thing, was completely cut off, and the people crossed opposite Jericho. Verse 17, The priest carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all... Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. We need a leader that it's evident that God's spirit, his presence, his hand, his power is on him. After they crossed the Jordan, look at Joshua 4, 14. Everything is done. They've crossed over. They're over there. Verse fourteen in chapter four. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel. It was obvious to Israel, and they received him throughout his life as they had, as they had. Excuse me, and they revered him throughout his life as they had revered Moses. It was obvious that Joshua was the man for the job. Okay, so Joshua is the leader. They've crossed the Jordan River. What are Joshua's first acts as leader? What does he do? Well, (laughs) the new generation of men weren't circumcised, which was a physical representation of being heirs of Abraham and the promises of God. It was the sign of the covenant. So at that point, he has them do that, which was a dangerous first step as a leader, I thought. I I don't know. I I assume there was a few objections to that. I, I, I just... Maybe I'm wrong, but I would say that some people had a little bit of trouble with that. And then, in chapter 6, warrior Joshua, warrior Joshua, fierce military leader Joshua, unveils his great military strategy to take down the mighty fortified city of Jericho. He calls him in and he says, All right, we're going to march around the city one time per day for six days. And then on the seventh day we're going to march around the city seven times. And then the priests are going to blow a loud horn. And then we're going to yell. <laughs> I mean, have you ever stopped and thought about that? I mean, Joshua was known to be a warrior and this was his plan. This is what he tells Ledi. Israel, he's leading them, he tells them this first thing so sometimes when the leader has a word from God the leader leads in a way that's not real logical to our minds sometimes it doesn't make sense but you know that story you've heard that story about Jericho you know what happened, it worked it worked, you've sang songs about it I've sang songs about it, the walls came tumbling down and they went on to a great victory but they were ready they were ready when Joshua told them to do this crazy thing. They were ready. And we need to be ready. Look back at Joshua chapter 1, verse 12. Now these people that we're about to look at are the people, the clans, that already had their land, inheritance. Moses had already given it to them. So they don't have any real need or motivation to follow Joshua, follow Joshua into battle other than to just be obedient to God. So that's, where Josh, that's who Joshua was talking to when he's talking here. And let's see, what do they say to Joshua? Joshua, verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. Joshua said to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Remember what Moses, the Lord's servant, commanded you when he said, The Lord your God will give you rest, and he will give you this land. Your wives, young children, livestock may remain in the land Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But your fighting men must cross over into battle formation ahead of your brothers and help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest, as he has given you and they to possess the land the Lord your God is giving them. You may then return to the land of your inheritance and take possession of what Moses the Lord's servant gave you on the east side of the Jordan. What do they say? They answered, verse 16, Joshua, everything you have commanded us, we will do. And everywhere you send us, we will go. We will obey you, just as we obeyed Moses in everything. And may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your order and does not obey your words and all that you command him will be put to death. And above all, Joshua, be strong and courageous. That's only in these first few chapters about a thousand times, reminding Joshua to be strong and courageous. So what do they say? They say, hey, we're ready. We're ready. Let's go, Joshua. Let's do it. Let's go now. They were ready. And we need to be ready. What do we need to do to be ready? We need to be right with God. We need to attract His presence. We need to stay far from the things that grieve His spirit. We need to attract God's presence and power by living out out our desire for Him and our dependence upon Him. a heck of a day with technology guys I'm not going (laughs) to (laughs) lie and we need to stay far from the things that take his presence away what is that it's sin and specifically the sin of pride of relying on ourselves and thinking we don't need God specifically that flip back to Deuteronomy a few chapters over from where you just were. Chapter 31. Chapter 31, verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, You are about to rest with your fathers, And the people will soon commit adultery with the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will abandon me and break the covenant I have made with them. And then over to 20. Same chapter. When I bring them into the land I swore to give their fathers a land flowing with milk and honey, they will eat their fill and prosper. They will turn to other gods and worship them, despising me and breaking my covenant. We need to be careful that we continue, or maybe for some of us, start relying on God. We need to be careful that we stay thankful for our blessings. We have many material blessings in this church body, individually and corporately, as a group. We need to make sure that we don't allow those blessings to make us fat and happy, which is what those verses say and trick ourselves into thinking that we can and have done it all on our own. We don't need to let our blessings become our curse. We don't need to let our strength become our weakness. We need to make sure that we continue to rely on God. To desire Him and to depend upon Him. And not allow ourselves to think that we can do it on our own. Even when sometimes in life it feels like that we can. Because we can't. Pardon me. So those are things we need to do. For sure. We, we need to be looking for God's presence. We need to be searching for God's presence. We need to be doing the things that draws God's presence close to us. But the interesting thing about this, I think that jumps out to me, is that the story of Moses to Joshua, you know, the great blessings and the great promises happened during Joshua's leadership, not Moses. And there's a pattern of that. If you look at Elijah and Elisha, right, Elisha comes along; it's a double portion of spirit, and does double the miracles that Elijah does right after him. David establishes the throne, the the kingly line of God. But Solomon comes in behind him, builds the temple, and experiences the glory days of the history of ancient Israel. Even John the Baptist came before Jesus and prepared the way. Lots of times it seems like a great leader prepares, and then the next leader comes in and God blesses at that time. And that's why I am very confident And very optimistic for the future of our church. I think that's exactly where we are. We've had a great leader. A friend. A close friend. A mentor. A pastor. A Bible teacher. Many of us would say the greatest Bible teacher we've ever been around. Things have been prepared. And we're standing right there on the edge of the Jordan River. We're right there. But Moses is dead. And Joshua, it's your time. The morning is over. Time to go forward. My blessings are there. They're not there. My promises are there. They're not there. Your best days are this way. Forward. Not that way. We're going to continue to move forward. That's what God told Joshua and the people of Israel. And that's what he shows time and time throughout history time time throughout His Word. And I really believe that's where we are. We're right there. We're on the edge. We're ready. And then if you flip over in Joshua to, I believe, chapter 24... Twenty-one. Thanks, wife. Thanks, baby. You're the best. Did Joshua twenty-one? Is that what you said? Oh, there's the page right there. Well, why didn't you give it to me earlier? <laughs> Preston went and got it. How's that even happen? Huh? Goodness gracious. <laughs> Chapter twenty-one, verse forty-five. Well, I love this verse. None of the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Joshua chapter 21, verse 45. None of the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Everything was fulfilled. The promises God gives, He will fulfill. It may not be in the way that we want or the way that we think it will happen. It may not be through who we think it will happen through. It may not be when, but it will happen. He's a way maker and he's a promise keeper. So the promise that he lays on our hearts from now till next Sunday, he'll fulfill. That's what's going to happen. What do we need to do? We need to be desiring a leader like this and looking for a leader like this. But our first step is the search committee going to cast votes next week and your, your vote should be for people that have been proven faithful to God who have a desire for God who show a dependence on God if we're going to elect people to find a leader that does that then we better be electing people that are already doing that so be mindful of the vote you cast next week be more importantly prayerful of the vote you cast next week and let's make sure that we get the five people to find the next man that God wants. And let's make sure that we're finding somebody that is faithful to God, that has a word from God. And when that person speaks to us and shares that word with us, let's make sure we're ready to receive it and to do it, whatever it is. Let's not be the ten chickens, let's be the two guys that said, let's go. Let's do it now, wherever it is. Wherever you send me, I'll go. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. When God gives us the word, let's be those type of people. Let's be those type of followers. And then let's make sure our heart is prepared for whoever that is, whether it's a week or a month or however long. Many of you have been through this before. In general, it's not a quick process, but sometimes it is. Who knows how long it's going to take? God does. We don't. But let's make sure we're ready. How can we be ready as a church? How can we be as healthy as we possibly can be? What do we need to do to attract God's presence, to attract His power? What do we need to do? That's an individual thing for you. It may be forgiveness. You may just need to go forgive somebody that you've been holding a grudge against for a month or two decades. Or your grandma held a grudge against them two generations ago, and you're still holding it. And don't act like it doesn't happen, because it does. I've heard it. Maybe we just need to be, that's what we need to start. Maybe you just need to forgive somebody. Maybe you just need to, (laughs) to get back to desiring and depending upon God in His Word. Spending time with Him in prayer. Maybe you need to ask Him to just rip your heart open because you've been calloused by life and the difficulties that life can bring. And it's just calloused over. And you had not heard God speak to you in so long you can't even remember what it feels like. Maybe you just need to ask God, God, just tear my heart open. Let me remember what it feels like to feel. Let me remember what it feels like to know you, to experience you, to be with you. What is that like, God? It's been so long I can't even remember. Maybe that's where you are this morning. I don't know. But I know this. Between now and Sunday when we vote, and then however long it is until we get a pastor, and whoever it is, we need to be doing everything we can do to be ready for that moment. We need to be doing everything we can do to be ready for that moment. Whatever that is for you individually. I don't know but you probably do. It's probably whatever it is you're saying that can't be it right now, God. Whatever it is you're probably saying that to right now, that's probably what it is. But again, I'm optimistic. Emotionally, I miss Brother Clayton. There's no doubt about that. Every major decision I've made in my life in the last, last nine and a half years, I have done it through his guidance, through his wisdom. He's a tremendous friend and I will miss him tremendously. But at the same time, I am so optimistic at the chance for us to be a church that is right here standing on the edge of the Jordan. About to have for them a 700 year promise fulfilled. We're right here about to have that promise fulfilled. The greatest times are before us. How do we know? Because God's still working, which means there's got to be good things ahead. His goodness had never failed and it's not going to start now. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm tremendously excited about it. But at the same time, I'm very aware personally that I need to be doing individually what helps us corporately as a group be ready for that time. And I pray that each and every one of us are doing the same thing. That we are preparing individually so that when the time comes for God to call us into action, we're ready as a church body. We're ready to to, to get after it. The big people in Jericho, I don't care. The high walls, don't bother me. Why? Because if God is with us, that's what Joshua said, if God's with us, then let's go. And that's... That's my word for us today. If God's with us, let's go. Let's do it and let's get it done. We're going to have a quick time. Sandra's going to play. If there's something that you need to deal with today, don't walk out of here and forget what it was. Do it it now. Deal with it now. If you need to come and pray, then come and pray. Um, And then I will close out the the invitation time in prayer. Um, As always, we are here for one reason and one reason only. And through one thing, because Jesus allowed us to be here. Jesus shed his blood and saved us. That's why we show up every week, not to hear somebody talk or sing songs. We come here to worship Jesus, so if you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, I would pray that today would be that day. If you want to do that now, I would certainly be extremely excited to help lead you in that process and in that decision, but whatever that is you need to do during this time, uh, that's now.